Brother Shelton, and uh, so glad he could be with us today. Amen, uh, Pastor Shock. Pastor Shock, thank you for uh, for flowing in the Holy Ghost. Uh, I just felt when I heard he was coming through that uh, something about like that was about to happen. And um, we have a move of the Holy Ghost when we come together. And Bishop I were just talking about this a second ago. And this is what he was telling me is we, we, we can come together and have a move of the Holy Ghost. But what God wants to do is when we go out there, yes. have a move of the Holy Ghost out there. You're going to start laying hands on people and praying for them. You're going to ask them that one simple question. If God could do anything for you, what would it be? And you're going to watch the Holy Ghost fall. You're going to watch as the tears start streaming down their cheeks and the Holy Ghost starts moving because God's there to touch them. And we're not going to just hear that and, and walk away and forget that, but I believe that there's some impartation that happened and we're going to go out and the Lord's going to lead us and we're going to, we're going to be used in evangelism and used the way that God wants us to be used to reach this city. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Appreciate Brother Shelton. Give honor to him. And uh, he's going to come this morning and do what he feels, and we're going to receive what the Lord would say. Praise God. As he's coming this morning, would you lift your hands and thank the Lord for sending us a man of God with rhema words from God this morning. Well, why don't you just hug somebody and tell them how much you love them? Sister Herod, Brother Shock's already mentioned it, but honor them and your pastor and his wife. Thank the Lord for them. We were privileged to be with them in uh, Chicago the last two and a half days. And um, your pastor and his wife led in worship and I'm going to just tell you something. I know you know this, but I want to tell you again, um, you are well represented by your leadership. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard uh, over the last couple of years doing that meeting up there with them, uh, the host pastor, Brother Betcher, I've heard him say it many times. I am so thankful for Brother and Sister Herod being willing and able to come and lead because it's, it's hard to find good godly apostolic uh, worship leaders sometimes. And it's not just their talent with music and vocals, but there's an anointing on them. And every service, let the Lord use your son, just run for Jesus. Every service, um, when they opened it up, there was not a buildup. It wasn't a uh, take 30 minutes to get there kind of a thing. It was the minute they touched the microphone and opened their mouth and began to lead, uh, it was powerful and you were in the thick of it immediately. And um, your bishop and his wife, she's walking around laying hands on everybody and praying a prayer of faith over them. And God used him so powerfully. Uh, I, I don't even know how to explain to you. Brother Shock texted uh, different ones and told them they need to watch that session he did Friday morning. And um, they were like, my Lord, I'm sending this to everybody I know. You, you've been blessed here in Springfield. You really have. And I know you know it. You can seat yourself. I don't know what I left you standing for. Good night of living. 
but I give honor to all of them and thank the Lord for them. To my friend, Brother Shock, he is, uh, I'm, I'm going to read uh, nickname him. I don't really like nicknames, but I'm going to give him a little handle. From now on, I'll just refer to him as NASCAR. And I'll let you figure out why. Good night of living. At one point, uh, we left my house Wednesday morning about 6.15 or 30. And we were, at some point along the way, Bishop called and he said, because we were coming here meeting up with them and riding from here to Chicago with Bishop. And so he called and he said, uh, how, what, what is your ETA? I said, well... 2, 2.15, it, it said 2.21, but I was being a little optimistic. And uh, would you believe me that when I tell you what I'm about to tell you is the truth, Brother Sanderfield, I don't know how the brother did it. I pray the Lord helped me pass out. I don't know how he did it, but we were scheduled to get here at 2.20, and at 1.21, we were in Springfield. Hallelujah. So how the brother did it, I don't know. But uh, I am so thankful for him and his friendship, and I honor him very highly. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to read something to you, um, and I'm going to read it multiple translations, so you can just keep your seat. Second uh, Timothy chapter number four, verse number. Uh, let's start with six. Give honor to my bishop this morning. Thank the Lord for him. My wife and kids said, tell everybody hello in Springfield. Uh, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Now I want to read it again in the Passion Translation. And now the time is fast approaching for my release. Isn't that a neat way to look at uh, death? And now the time is fast approaching for my release from this life, and I am ready to be offered as a sacrifice. <clears throat> I have fought an excellent fight. I have finished my full course with all my might, and I've kept my heart full of faith. There is a crown of righteousness waiting in heaven for me, and I know that my Lord will reward me on his day of righteous judgment. And this crown is not only waiting for me, but for all who love and long for his unveiling. Now, one more reading in the contemporary English version. Now the time has come for me to die. My life is like a drink offering being poured out on the altar. I have fought well. I have finished the race, and I have been faithful. So a crown will be given to me for pleasing the Lord. He judges fairly, and on the day of judgment, he will give a crown to me and to everyone else who wants him to appear with power. The time's come for me to die, he says. <clears throat> and he said, I fought well, I finished the race, and I have been faithful. I have stood at bedsides when people passed away. Last Saturday night, I stood beside the bed of a 38-year-old man who five weeks prior had been diagnosed with cancer. They told him it was terminal. It was in every organ in his body. It was in every bone of his body. It was in his brain. His colon perforated. They took out every bit of his intestines, essentially. And somewhere along the way, there on about Thursday, he threw a blood clot. They put him on life support, and the family wouldn't let him be unplugged until Brother Nichols and I got there on Saturday night to pray for him. And I stood there, and the Lord had already told me, I'm, I'm taking him home. This was about his salvation more than anything else. <clears throat> we prayed. The family came in. They asked us to stay. His little wife did. Uh, Six-month-old baby. Will you please stay in here with us while we unplug it, her and his parents? 
and we did, and then and he expired and went on uh, to reach for his reward. But we live here now. This world right here, right now, is where we all are. Paul said in one of those translations, it's time for my release from this life. There is going to come a point where each and every last one of us, the scripture said it's appointed unto man once to die. And I've said this before, and I've said it preaching with an organ behind me, and I've said it in private conversations, drinking coffee. I don't want to be here one minute longer than what God has ordained me to be here. When the Lord's done with me, I want to go. Now, I don't want to stay for the simple fact I don't want to end up lost. I don't want a Hezekiah scenario. When the Lord says, get your house in order, I'm coming to get you, I want my house to be in order when he comes to get me. <clears throat> this life really isn't the goal. This, this isn't, you know, we talk about praise and worship. Well, one of the reasons why there's, I think, that I put an emphasis on it is because if we don't learn how to worship God here, we're going to be real out of place around the throne someday. This life is preparation for the life to come. And if we don't believe that there is a life after this one, Brother Jones, I think our flesh has a tendency to just kind of dial it back a little bit and just try to find an easy path to get on and just get from cradle to grave in this life and be done with it. But this, this one is not the one we're living for. Uh, old boy down in Houston wrote the old book about your best life. Now, that's a straight-up lie. This is not your best life. This is the one I have to live getting to the one I want to live. <clears throat> and there, there is going to be a great day. Now, does it make me sad to think about leaving my family? Only for them. If I, if I knew I was going to die at the end of this week, I would no doubt shed some tears because I would, I would hate to think about what my wife and kids uh, would feel or what I would hope they would feel but I don't want them to feel it, but I would like to know I was missed. But uh, if, if I was going to pass away, that would be the part about it that broke my heart. But when I began to think about where I was about to be in less than a second after I drew my last breath here, where I was going to wake up in eternity, oh, 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 it's game on. Let me go. Don't, don't be, if I fall out right now, y'all better get a word from God before you start trying to raise this brother up. I, if it's time for me to transition Leave me with him. Don't be, you get your own miracle. Don't make me your miracle if it's not the will of God. <laughs> I may stumble and fall. Y'all bring me back. But the point is, this is where we are right here on today. Right here in this room is where we are. Eternity is where I want to go. We've already heard this morning about all the things that we, I think sometimes too, we listen to things like Brother Shock said and, and pastors always talking about and, and reaching and evangelism. And it's almost like sometimes it comes across in my mind when I think about it for myself, not what other people are saying, but when I think about evangelism, it's almost like I see it, and I'm being honest with you, I, I almost see it as what I have to do. It's a job. I'm required to do this. Somewhere along the way, the Lord's been helping me with this for, for a period of years. It's not coming to church is not what I have to do. It's what I get to do. Prayer meeting is not what I have to do. It's what I get to do. Uh, worship is not what I have to do or am required to do. It's what my soul says I'm going to do. <clears throat> and the struggle is sometimes if we're all honest about it, our flesh don't want to get up and just break it down. But my soul says yes. He sang it. I asked him to sing that up in Chicago the other day, and it was good. I believe if you'd have sung it one more time, the joint would have just blown up. <clears throat> My soul says yes. My soul says I'm going to prayer meeting. My soul says I'm, I'm going to the house of God to worship. My soul says I'm not sitting my behind on this pew. I'm going to do something. My soul says I'm not going to walk past somebody down here at Walmart. I feel the Holy Ghost. I got a word for them. I'm going to go pray for them. <clears throat> That's what Brother Shock was talking about. This is not, it's not what God makes me do. It's what he gives me the opportunity. You, you just be honest about it. The Lord had never one day in our life stood at the front door and said, if you don't evangelize somebody today, if you don't witness to somebody today, judgment's fallen on you. 
the Lord's never stood there with a drawn sword and forced one of us to go get involved in the kingdom. But every day, he says, hey, the kingdom's available. There's people out there that are in bondage and they need what you got. If, you, if you'll take a step of faith, I'll work with you and I'll do stuff through you that you've never even imagined. So for me, the transition in my thinking has had to be, this is not what I have to do. When I was a kid, Brother Sanderfield going to church, I, oh my God, there was so many other things I wanted to go do. And so many other places that I thought I would be happier if I was there instead of the house of God. I remember youth services when there wasn't but four or five of us gathered up down there and somebody talking about Barney living in a barrel on the, in an alley somewhere. I don't even know what in the wide world was going on. But all I knew was they were making me go to youth service and they were making me do this. And I didn't, I, I really, if I have a regret in my life, that's, that's probably it. That too late in life, I figured out this was not what I had to do. It was what I had an opportunity to do. And if I'd have just seized that opportunity, the anointing and the flow of the Spirit and the things that God would have done through me would have absolutely blown my mind. And no telling how many people I let slip through my fingers honestly before God because I didn't have a right perspective on what my place in the world was. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to come to church, but I do come because I love being in the presence of God with the people of God. I come to prayer meeting because I love being in the presence of God with the people of God. I pray when I'm by myself because my soul is so in love with him, I can't live without him. I can't breathe without him. I can't imagine going through a day without him. I look forward. Bishop talked about relationship in Chicago, and I've made the statement a lot lately. I, I think God is more interested in our one-on-one -on -one relationship with him than he is us doing anything in the kingdom. We will never do anything in the kingdom with the right spirit until our relationship with God gets where it needs to be. I hear people talk about all the things God's doing in ministry and all of these things, and I hear people's passion coming out when they're talking about it and their individual prayer life. And I remember as a kid wondering, what do I have to do to get to the place that I want to read the Bible as much as my mother does? My mom, oh, Lord, help us. That woman... We'd come in at supper time, and we always ate supper meals together, and our whole family, we, we, ate, we ate every meal we could together. But I remember in the evening coming in a lot of times from school or out playing or hunting or whatever, and Mama would have supper on the stove, and it'd be about two-thirds cooked, and she'd turn the fire out under everything because she'd got a phone call or saw something in the Bible, and she's tied up with Jesus and just went on ahead and turned all the supper stuff off so it didn't burn and she'd be on the phone with somebody talking about something she had seen in Scripture. And I remember as a kid that that used to drive me nuts. And I'd go through asking her, are we going to eat? <laughs> Somehow or another, the, 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 the good woman managed to get it all on the table hot when it was mealtime. I don't know how her and the Lord did it, but they did it. <clears throat> but I, I regret to have to tell you, there were times that I would call my mother while I was driving or when I moved out and lived away and I'd call and just visit with her. You'd get about 10 minutes of talking about you and her. And then after that 10 minute mark, mama was talking about Jesus. Right on today at 80, she'll be 84 in about four more days. And if I call her right now and say, mama, how are you? How are your shoulders? She's been having some health issues, some decline going on. Mama, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm fine, son. The Lord's good to me. And, and, and well, I know he is, but uh, well, she got COVID a couple of years ago, and, and they finally told me, and she was at my sister's. And I, I called her, and I said, Mother, Sharon said, you've got COVID. I'm going to call my buddy that's a doctor, get you some medication, and help you with your breathing. She said, well, that's fine. You don't have to do that. I said, well, are you concerned at all? She started laughing right up in my face, got to laughing on the phone at me for asking her, was she worried about having COVID? I said, you older than dirt. You don't need COVID. What in the world? She said, are you kidding me? This is what I've been trying to get to. If he's ready for me to go home, I don't care what car he takes me in, I'm ready to go. I don't care if I got to go on a skateboard or a little moped or if I'm in a Cadillac. She said, I'm just ready to go home. And if he's ready to take me home, you don't need to send me no medication. I want to go with Jesus. If today's the day I'm ready, this is what I've been living for. You're not going to scare me, she said, with the end of my life. 
And something clicked in me that day, and I, and I thought I had all this figured out. I really did. I thought, man, I'm dialed into this thing. But my mom began to talk about not just what God wanted to do here, but she had her eyes on something beyond this world. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. My mother, I, I've seen her go through stuff that I'd, I'd, have, probably, I'd have probably backslidden over. I, I've seen her suffer through people mistreating her children at church. And, and I, I've watched her watch her kids be uh, done wrong. And I've seen people take advantage of her. And it wasn't fair how they treated her. And I've watched all of that. And my mother... Never missed a church service over another human being. My mother never missed a prayer meeting because somebody did her wrong. If you had a problem with her, that was going to be your problem. But she was in love with Jesus, and she really didn't care what you thought about her. She's going to help heal her kids, and our feelings get fixed. But you weren't going. To, we we never heard Mama fuss and complain about how somebody treated us. She she always told us, "Well, we're going to pray for them. God loves them, and we're going to pray for them. Maybe they were having a bad day." My, I never could understand what her love for this book was all rooted in and why she would pray for hours on end. And in church, she's had arthritis for years, and so she couldn't clap with her fingers because they hurt, and, and so it was just her little palms. And she couldn't do them hard because if it jarred her fingers, it made them hurt, and they're all crooked. And so Mama just claps like this, still on today. She'd be clapping right down there in her recliner at my sister's right now, watching church somewhere, clapping just like this and saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Now, just listen to this sound. I don't know about you, but if there's not some pizza dough or bread dough in there, in a little while, that's going to get old to me. <laughs> if we're not cooking something, stop all that. And I've looked at her at church before and like, Mama, stop. They're making announcements. What are you doing? Mama never, she never held up a drop. She just kept right on. And I never could understand what drove her to live like that. What, what kept her from getting offended about stuff? What kept her from being depressed. My, my dad supported her, but he was not as faithful to the house of God as she was, but she never missed church to stay home with him. It didn't matter. None of that mattered. She, she was going to be at the house of God, and here in her last years, no doubt about it, she is as happy about where she's at now as she was when she was 20, if not more happy because she's closer to being at that place she'd been trying to get to than she's ever been before. And I've read this scripture early this morning, and it's just been in my mind since I woke up. I think sometimes we allow our kingdom conduct now, our life, our apostolic life, everything is affected by the world we live in because that's all we see. We spend our life looking at this world, looking at these problems, looking at this situation, looking at that circumstance, looking at things that are Beyond our control, we have no ability to control them. We, we have no authority to do anything about it. But if we ever finally get the revelation, because if you think about it, if you're going through this life and you're dealing with problems and you've got health issues and you've got money issues or you've got family issues or just whatever, job issues or no job, <clears throat> it's real easy for that stuff to inundate your thinking and your expectations. Brother Herod and I were talking about expectations this morning early, and then Brother Shock talked about them. Brother Wright made a statement a long time ago. He said, I, I feel like it's a sin for sure to come to the house of God with no expectations of God doing something while we're gathered together. He said, if we'll do it in his name, he'll be there in our midst. And if we'll agree as touching any one thing, he'll do it. And so if we don't demonstrate that expectation, it's, it's proof that I have a lack of faith in God. And that, the scripture says, anything that's not of faith is sin. <clears throat> what is it that makes us live a life with no expectations? What is it that makes us willing to just trudge through the mundane hours of a day with no hope? And I think part of the problem is we get our eyes off of where it is we're going. My dad, when he was teaching us kids to drive, he told each one of us the same thing. And I've never forgotten it. And when I've taught mine to drive a go-kart or a golf cart, I tell them the same thing my daddy did. And when they start driving a car, I'm going to remind them. You better look at where you're going or you're going to go where you're looking. And the first time he told me that, I thought, what in the wide world? 
And I'm driving along, and Dad's over in that seat, and he's telling me that, and I'm in the 10 and 2 position, and he tells me that. And I looked at him, and I said, what are you talking about? And he had to grab the wheel because I didn't just turn my head. I turned my whole body, and when I did, it pulled the steering wheel, and here I went out across the median of the shoulder, headed into the ditch, and he had to grab the steering wheel. He said, that right there is what I'm talking about. You better keep your eyes on where it is you're headed or you'll head wherever, you'll look at whatever it is you're headed to. If heaven is not my goal, if heaven is not what this is all about for me, then I won't do this forever. If heaven is not why I'm doing this, I won't do this without somebody begging me to do it. How often does Bishop call me and, and remind me, you better do your job. Don't you quit praying. Don't you quit believing. Don't you quit fasting. Don't you quit studying the word. You better not quit he never does that. I don't get a daily phone call from him. I don't get a weekly call from him where he's reminding me to do all these things because somewhere along the way, I found out what it was that made my mother love all of this so much. And, and my mother lived with, and, and I've watched some of these elders that have done this for decades. They have lived with an expectation that this world, we sang songs about it for years, this world really is not my home. I'm only passing through. My treasures, they're laid up where your treasures are. There will your heart be. Where your heart is, that's where your treasures will be. And we've, we've embedded our heart into this world, and we're begging God to make this world better all the time. I don't care how bad or good this world gets. If I don't make it to heaven, that's going to be the tragedy. When this life is over, that's the one I want to live. I've already said it once. I'm living this one because I have to, but I'm trying to learn everything I can here so I can live the best life I've ever lived in eternity with him. I'm going to go to my seat, but when Paul said, play something melodious so they'll believe we're done, I may give the mic back to one of these guys and they can do something. But this is just what I felt to tell you. Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. And I finished. Those three words, fight, keep, and finish. If, if I can master anything, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to set the bar so high that I can't achieve my goal. I'm not going to come up with some crazy, unbiblical expectation of myself. And I think sometimes we, we put our expectations in ourselves rather than God. If my expectations are in me, then I feel a pressure to perform and produce and manufacture and I have to be productive. But when I put my expectations in him, doing what Brother Shock said, just as, as easy as taking the next breath, I'm available. And for a long time now, that's how I've tried to live my life. I haven't tried to live it. This is going to sound horrible. <clears throat> I want to be a spiritual person. But I have not tried to live my life spiritual. I've tried to live my life available. No, no agenda of my own, just a life of obedience. Lord, what do you want to do? Where are we going? Lord, that guy wants me to go to lunch. Can I go with, no, you don't want, oh, you don't, no, okay. You just want it to be me and you, fine. If I don't, if I don't evangelize 700 people a week, it's only because the Lord didn't lead me to. If I do, it's only because the Lord led me to. And I can't take the credit for it. I can't feel guilty about what I didn't do as long as what I did was what the Lord led me to do. My expectations are not in myself. I, I believe in self-confidence for whatever that's worth. I, I believe in that. But my true confidence is in Him. I, I'm nothing without Him. The scripture says, Now, Lord, what weight I far, my hope is in you. That's the way I want to live my life, that my hope every day is in Him. And today... I am going to fight a good fight. I am going to run with patience. And I'm going to finish this deal. When this is over with, I'm not trying to finish it with medals all over me. I really am not. I, I want whatever reward he deems necessary for me in eternity. Whatever that is, I don't even care. I hear these people talking about, I'm going to have a triple-decker crown when I get to heaven. You know what? 
knock yourself out. I, that'd be awesome. If I get one, I'll just be happy about it. But there's no pride in heaven, so it really won't matter to me whether I've got one that big or not. It just don't matter. What I'm really interested in, you said it the other day at the meeting. I, I, I wrote this in my, in my notes app a month and a half, two months ago. That was in December. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not concerned about a place of position in heaven. What I'm concerned about is there going to be enough room where I'm at to get on my face before him. That's all I really want to know. I just want, to, I just want them to leave room for me to lay down on that golden street in front of that throne and magnify him and worship him. I, I want to be involved in all the kingdom work there is, but I will never be involved in all the kingdom work I could be if my relationship with him is not where it's supposed to be. We have, unfortunately, an agnostic view, I think, of God. We look at him and we say, well, there is a God, but we don't pray with hope and expectation. Really, I don't think like we should because we, we pray and ask God for things without really expecting him to do it. The scripture says to your faith add virtue. That word virtue means worship and praise. So when I come down for prayer and somebody prays a prayer, pray th prayer of faith over me, my response to the prayer of faith is worship and exaltation to him. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for what you're going to do in my life and in my circumstance. <clears throat> I'm going to do that, however, whether I get the response from heaven that I want or if I don't get the one I want. Because this world really is not my home. All the blessings and things that we can have here, we have to be careful about that because they can become entrapments that are designed by the enemy to keep us from making it to that eternal life with him, which is where we really are trying to get. <clears throat> that young man left this life last Saturday night at 12.01. His wife had made a statement and some of the guys that were there after he had passed, I, I backed out of the room and just went to the waiting area around there and was sitting with some of the young men from the church that had been at the church praying for him. For five weeks they had prayed for God to raise him up. And one of them made the statement to me, how can God not raise him up? And now she's got a six-month-old baby to raise. I said, well, because he's sovereign to start with. And because he loves people more than we understand him. We don't understand the love of God. We look at everything in that nature as loss and loss only. When my brother passed, I made this statement at his funeral. When we were kids, my brother was ADHD-like. Wow. And he was constantly, we'd, we'd go walking out in the country and on creek beds looking for arrowheads a lot as a family. And Stephen would just, he'd be, he'd run on off ahead of us. And, and Dad would be calling him and having to go look around the corner of the creek for him and He'd be hip deep in water, and, and my dad would be just, son, you've got to stay. Well, when Stephen passed, I made the statement at his funeral. Here he is. He's done going on ahead of us again. I wanted him back. I really did. I wanted him back. But not enough to tear him out of the embrace of our father. I asked the Lord, why'd you take my brother? You don't have to tell me, but if you could, I'd, sure not, I'd like to know. He said, because I stood on a threshold in time and I looked back and I heard your mama praying, whatever you got to do to save him, I'm dedicating him to you. Don't let my boy be lost. He said, your parents dedicated him to me. He said, and I stood on that same threshold and looked into the future. 
And I saw an event coming that was going to throw him for a loop and he wouldn't recover. And if I left him, he would end up lost. So because I loved your mother and I told her yes then and I love your brother, I took him when I took him so he wouldn't be lost and I could answer the prayers of my daughter. Man, I'm going to tell you something. Something in my mind began to change and God healed me just that quickly to know that he loves us that much. Yeah, but what about the pain I have? That's what I said to him. What about the pain I have? He said, oh, I love you too. And I'll be a friend that sticketh closer than a brother if you'll let me. It made me, I'm just, I don't know why I'm talking about all this. I stood in that hotel room in Houston, Texas by myself, Lacey. And I knew in that moment I had to make a decision. I'm either going to be bitter in 30 days or I'm going to be further down the road with him, one of the two. And Sister Hyde, I stood there. I laid my phone down after they just told me that he passed. I was on the phone with my family when the doctor came in and said he's gone. I laid that phone down and I lifted my hands and I said, I need you to hear me say this and I need it to come out of my mouth. This changes nothing between me and you. I am not even going to let the grief of my brother or my father keep me from being with Jesus in eternity. How do we endure hardness in this life like a good soldier? By remembering this is not the last life. I'm going to hug him again. I'm going to grab my brother up. If the Lord lets me see and know him in eternity and I'm banking on that being the case, I'm coming for him. And I told those young men, I said, because God loved him, he took him. And because he loved her, he left her a child to raise in truth so that she's not lost. He gave her a reason to do right and to hang on to hope and not let bitterness and loss get a hold of her. And it, it seemed to just resonate with them and cleared it up. And they're like, okay, I get it. The enemy will make us try to make us believe, rather, that we are serving some cruel, uncaring, unemotional, untouchable God. And we're not. When Paul said, I fought a good fight, he wasn't talking about his performance. He was saying, this struggle I've been in has been worthy. Uh, I have learned some things... Brother Shock the other day, uh, somebody asked him about some of the food he was eating, and he said, well, it's worthy. <laughs> and he just kept eating it. This battle we're in, it's worthy. I'm going to stay with it. It's a struggle. My family don't always understand the sacrifice and the commitment. I've had friends look at me and say, I wouldn't do that, and I wouldn't do this. Yeah, well, you don't have the revelation that I got, and you don't have the desires for eternity that I've got. I have a reason. I, I'm not doing it just because. I have a reason. I, I want to be with him. So fight a good fight. Keep the faith. Finish this thing. And every day, let the flow of the Spirit take you. Let your expectations and your hope not be in you. It's not about me. It's not about me hoping in you. It's about all of us having hope in him and realizing that he is not going to leave us. He's never going to fail us. He's never going to forsake us. He is not going to let us down. And I get to be involved in the kingdom in this life. The redeeming part of living in this life is the fact that we get to be a part of signs and wonders being done in the kingdom. We get to be a part of laying our hand on somebody's head and them being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We get to be a part. Y'all are always posting pictures right back there Y'all, Brother Shock and I were talking in the office a little bit ago. I said, they, they are baptizing more people. He said, well, I looked on their Facebook page, and there's tons of pictures of people they're baptizing. Do you, do you realize how many churches I go to that don't baptize that many people in three years? And y'all are baptizing them almost on a weekly basis. 
what a privilege that he lets me teach people how to love him in this life so they can really love him in that one. I mean, you stop and think about it. It's an honor. It's a privilege to be able to share the gospel with someone, anyone, anytime, and introduce them to someone that will never fail them, never leave them, never leave them hungry and begging for bread. The scripture says, wherever you go, whatever you need, this one I'm about to introduce you to, he is going to be there. A friend of mine, Brother Shock, just had him at his church. Uh, his name is uh, uh, Braden Anderson. He's a medical doctor. He sold his, med he had multiple medical clinics out in Washington State. He's also an apostolic preacher. But God began to deal with him. And the call of the kingdom was, this is a man that is not even 40 yet. He's 38 or 9. Worked to get his medical degree. Practiced medicine. Started multiple medical clinics. Still a doctor today. But about three years ago, the Lord began to deal with him. How do you walk away from three prosperous medical clinics? Well, it's easy when this life is not the goal. He sold his clinics, moved to Fort Smith, said the Lord told him to move there. Brother Sullivan's his pastor. And he travels full time. Three kids and a wife. She's a nurse practitioner, I think. But the two of them would rather be out on the streets inviting people to church than enjoying a cushy, cushy, cushy life running three medical clinics. Why? Because this life really is not all that appealing when you really look it over. That one over there, however, oh, man. You look at somebody that's in love with Jesus that's excited all the time, they're not excited about this world and what it can give. They're excited about what he allows them to do in his kingdom and how that prepares them to live with him in eternity. He was doing a tent revival in um, Kokomo, Indiana last fall. He's got two big tents. I mean, he went all in. He bought one tent. I don't remember how many it seats. The other one was seat about 300, I think. They're massive. And he's from Washington. He grew up in Canada. His family, his dad's a doctor, very wealthy people. His, his dad rejected him when he found God and was filled with the Holy Ghost. But they just kept on because they're looking for something this life can't afford. And so he's got his tent set up. And, and he just, all he calls it is the Jesus revival. The Jesus tent revival, I think is what he calls them. That's the only identifier they've got. And uh, there was a man who was a self-proclaimed atheist sitting in the tent that night. His kids and family all go to that local church. And um, he had, he had kind of let it be known, I'm going to come with you, but... I don't want anything to do with all this. I don't believe all this stuff like y'all do. I'm not interested, whatever. And so he was sitting back there and Brother Anderson was behind the pulpit and he made a statement. He said, I believe God is going to reveal himself in one way or another to everybody in this room. And I can't remember all the details to it, but they began to pray. And uh, this old man, he's not old, but this old guy, he's sitting on the back row and uh, farmer and it just just a good old farming blue-blooded American well he's sitting back there with his arms crossed and Brother Anderson's just praying the prayer of faith I mean you couldn't have deterred him with a locomotive and the Holy Ghost began to fall in that place and people are getting the Holy Ghost all over that tent and all of a sudden at some point they see what he said, he said, I saw it when it happened, but hundreds of rats and mice just come boiling out of the ground back there where that guy was. 
and just took off running everywhere. And that tent ran out of the tent. And he said, man, there was just so many people getting the Holy Ghost. It, people saw it happen, but it didn't distract from what was going on. So uh, the next day or two, he got a call from the pastor after he had left town. He gets a call from the pastor, and he asked him, do you remember seeing that man back there? He said, yeah. He said, do you remember seeing all those rats and mice come boiling out of the ground? He said, yeah. He said, well, you're not going to believe what happened to that man. This atheist. I'm telling you, this is the kind of stuff we get to be a part of. I'm, I'm, I want, I look for church service. I really do. I don't want to miss. I, but I don't know when, when that's going to happen again. But when it does, I'd sure like to see that. I've seen God do some jump, but I ain't never seen him run a bunch of rats and mice out of the ground. But I'd like to see what that's all about. But he had already made the statement that God is going to touch everybody in this room one way or another. If you'll let him. Well, the guy didn't oppose it. He just didn't believe it. Everybody's speaking in tongues and people are being filled with the Holy Ghost and all kind of, and that happens. Well, when that happened, nobody else saw it but that man. But he told his son, he said, they were asking him about the mice. He said, well, I guess so. But he said this, if I, do you remember Braden telling it? it, it was, he said this, I've got it on my phone, but he said, this tremendously bright light came down through that tent and hit him in the top of his head. And he said it was like an electrical shock went through his body and went through the bottom of his feet into the ground. Well, when it happened, that's when the mice started boiling up out of the ground. Them field mice had a big nest down there. And that light that hit him running rats out of the ground. But he had severe nerve damage in his back. And I don't think he had hardly any feeling in his legs at all. He walked fine, but he just couldn't feel such nerve damage. But he said when that light hit him, it began to burn through his body. And when it was over, his feeling had been restored to his legs. God healed him that fast. That's the kind of stuff we get to be a part of. And then the guy went on ahead and received the Holy Ghost on top of that. I would, I would, I would give up everything to be a part of this kingdom to see that stuff happen, to be there when it happened. He didn't even got to be using me to do it. I, I just want to be in the room when it happens. I want to be in the room when this thing happens and that thing. I want to be in this sanctuary. I want you to video it all and send me the link because I want to see it happen. I, I'm with Brother Shock. There's such expectation of what's about to take place in Springfield. And I know people say it and say it and say it and say it, but it's still true. This life can't disappoint us when that one's the one we're really trying to get to. This is necessary. If I go through a hardship in this life, it's, it's to get something out of me that would keep me from being in eternity with him. Stand with me. I have told you what the Lord told me, and I do not understand all the whys about why we're talking about this today. But what I do know We don't have a lot of this life left. Jesus really is coming sooner than most of us realize. Come on around the front with those that have already come. He's coming. Well, when's the rapture going to take place? When the Lord's ready for it to. That's all I can tell you. But between now and then, he's going to do some of the most amazing things that mankind has ever seen. We've, we've never seen an outpouring of the Holy Ghost like we're about to see. I don't have to be here for that, but I want to be. I wouldn't. This really is a cliched statement, but I wouldn't miss this for the world. Mm -mm. These are the greatest days of the church. So just settle into it and make your mind up. I'm going to fight a good fight. I'm going to keep the faith, and I'm going to finish this race and I'm going to give myself wholly and completely to this life and to this struggle and to this spiritual battle that we've been given the privilege to be a part of because it's worth it. My family that's not saved will be. Why? Because I decided to stay in the fight. I'm not going to quit praying for them now. Are you kidding me? Mm -mm. I got nieces that are alcoholics and drug addicts. 
I'm not going to quit praying for them now. I'm going to stay in the fight because I got brother-in-law that needs God, two brothers-in-law that need God dreadfully bad. Me and Precious, we're going to stay in the fight because we got, we got some things we intend to see come to fruition. I don't pray for them because I have to. I pray for them because I want to. I want to because I love them and I want to because I know what God's going to do for them. I'm not a... To leave the kingdom now would be to abandon the people that you know and love. And I'm not doing that. God's going to reach my family. And I'm either going to be there when it happens or I'm going to get a phone call as soon as it takes place. I'm going to hear about it. Because I don't want to live that life alone. I want them going with me. Does that make sense to you? Do we get disappointed in this life? Absolutely we do. Whatever. Water on a duck's back. I'm going there. You say what you want to me here. You can treat me how you want to here. But I'm going there with him. And I'm not going to let anything or anybody stop that. And because I have that hope, I have that hope and that expectation for me, then I got it for Andrew and I got it for Patrick and I've got it for Jessica and I've got it for Raquel and I've got it for all of them. I've got that hope for them. I'm going. They can go. So between here and there, I'm going to stay the course. I'm not going to get out of the fight. I'm going to keep running. And when this is over with, I'm going to look around and say, it was worth it all. Every hardship, every trial. Y'all remember that old song we used to sing it? It's going to be worth it all. Some beautiful, glad, happy day. I ain't quitting. Lift your hands. Begin to pray and let the Lord know I'm, I'm in this deal for the long haul. I'm going to fight a good fight. I'm going to keep the faith and I'm going to run with patience the race that's set before me. I'm going to fight. I'm going to keep and I'm going to finish. Come on. I'm, I'm in this deal. This is a worthy struggle. My family's soul is in the balance. It's a worthy struggle. My soul. Yeah, come on. There you go. somebody close to you pray with them right now encourage them right now let faith flow from one person to another in this place right now in the name of jesus hallelujah hallelujah oh i will see the good 